Welcome to Integrated Brain Health. My name is Dr. Robert Coben. I'm a clinical neuropsychologist and am board certified in QEG technology and neuromodulation. This is our Neuroscience Rounds podcast. You will get a glimpse into our training programs where we talk about neuroscience, technology, neurofeedback, neuropsychology, and other related matters. We hope this helps with your knowledge base and ability to intervene and help patients successfully. On to the podcast. This is round 21. Uh, We're going to continue our discussion on neural networks. So we introduced some neural networks Uh, last week. We're going to go in a little bit more in depth this week. So uh, first I'm talking about some limbic pathways. Just a reminder about what the limbic system is. Um, Limbus is Latin for border. So limbic system is is the area that's bordering the brainstem and kind of lower subcortical regions. Uh, Kind of the primitive brain with amygdala, mammillary bodies, hypothalamus, um, uh, the thalamus, and the more evolved cortical ones. It's a structure uh, dedicated to linking the visceral states and um, emotion to cognition and behavior. Uh, plays a role in social interactions, uh, consolidating memories, and forming emotions. So we had some, uh, well, a lot of limbic projection pathways. So uh, here in the kind of yellow here is the fornix. And that's a projection tract connecting the um, hippocampus and mammillary body into your uh, thalamic nuclei and the hypothalamus. So it's all right here. You also had the mammalothalamic tract, which is this little black one here. Um, and that is the circuit between the medial limbic structures and the midbrain and the hypothalamus. So again, it's the endocrine system. And it relates the visceral perception to emotional and behavior. Another track is this green one here. So anterior in the front, thalamic projection. So it's uh, going from the thalamus to the frontal regions. We'll talk about the thalamus uh, in a little bit later. Uh, but this track uh, receives projections from the fornix and the mammillary, uh, mammalothalamic track. It goes to the orbital frontal and anterior cingulate cortex here. The cingulum is this big red one here. Um, it has the longest fibers that run from the amygdala all the way up to uh, the subgenual, it's back up here, uh, and the frontal lobe and the temporal lobe, and it reaches back to the occipital lobe. So it's really long fibers there. The uncinate facilicus is right here in the front in the blue. And it connects the anterior temporal lobe and the orbital, uh, orbital and the polar frontal regions. So the temporal pole here and the frontal regions. So we talked before when we talked about the limbic system, about, about the Pepez circuit. It's really important for learning. So just kind of go over it again. It starts in the subiculum of the hippocampus. It goes up through the fornix, which you just I went over a second ago, through the mammillary bodies, up through the thalamus, into the cingulate gyrus. At that point, it splits. It could go either back down to the uh, hippocampus, the entorhinal cortex, um, hippocampus, uh, dentate gyrus, and the subiculum. So that's kind of the memory route. But it can also split off from the cingulate gyrus and go up to the prefrontal regions to involve a memory uh, with thoughts and decision making. There's also another um, circuit, the Yakovlev circuit. Um, it is involved, it, it links the orbital frontal, the insula, amygdala, and anterior temporal lobe. It's important for emotion and motivation. Another uh, limbic network here is the retros, uh, 
spinal, hippocampal, diencephalonic network, have a mouthful there. There's all these yellow regions that it's connecting. Um, it's involved in special orientation and memory, uh, but it is vulnerable to viral infections like encephalitis and alcohol, uh, Korsakoff syndrome. Um, there's also altered metabolism and function and age-related neurodegenerative disorders uh, like malcognitive impairment and early Alzheimer's. Temporal amygdala orbital frontal network, so it's the green one here, um, is involved in a lot of things, taste, smell, visceral functions, integration of emotional states, cognition and behavior, kind of multimodal sensory integration, behavioral inhibition, this is in the frontal lobe, um, outcome monitoring, object reward, association learning, um, so we're kind of the reward network, and memory for complex visual information. When this uh, network is damaged, you have depression, temporal lobe epilepsy, semantic dementia, advanced Alzheimer's, Kluver-Busey syndrome, which we have compulsive eating and hypersexuality, and then Geschwind syndrome, which involves uh, temporal lobe epilepsy, um, extensive compulsive writing, um, hyper-religiosity, and hyposexuality. It also can be involved in uh, psychopathy. Uh, one that is important for us a lot here is the default mode network. It's everything here in blue. Um, so it's kind of what you're thinking about when you're not thinking about anything else. is deactivated when you are thinking about other things, working memory, focusing attention, theory of mind task. Um, when you have damage to this region, you have uh, mild cognitive impairment, um, Alzheimer's disease, autism is really big, um, ADHD, schizophrenia, depression, anxiety, and OCD. So again, this is one of the ones that we work with a lot here. There are a number of other limbic uh, syndromes uh, that we have touched in some other uh, rounds before, but uh, we will go over them again. So amnesias and, and dementias. So if you have lesions to the hippocampus, you'll have severe memory deficits. So we talked about HM before. So you'll have the inability to encode, associate, and retrieve new information. So that's anterior grade amnesia. If you have a lesion to the diencephalon and mammillary uh, bodies, you'll have confabulation, which is where you spontaneously kind of talk about something that happened that never actually happened. Um, this frequently occurs in Korsakoff syndrome when the medial, orbital, frontal, anterior cingulate are affected. When you have lesions uh, to perihippocampal cortex, retrosplenial cingulate, posterior precuneus, precuneus, you'll have memory deficits, uh, difficulties in spatial orientation, um, so you can't derive directional information from landmarks. So we talked about how important uh, the parietal back there is important for navigating your surroundings. Um, there's also, uh, when you have reduced metabolism in the retrosplenium cortex, you'll have a mild cognitive impairment in Alzheimer's. Um, and if Alzheimer's progresses to include the olfactory centers, which is part of the limbic system, um, there'll also be effects on language and personality to kind of get more pervasive. You have antisocial behavior that's been linked to the limbic system. So psychopathic uh, personality disorder, which is kind of emotional detachments, um, antisocial traits, kind of criminal behavior is also linked to this. Um, there's two kind of regions of the brain that are uh, thought to be related to it. So the orbital frontal cortex and prefrontal regions, which are important for personality and social behavior. Um, people who have violent, pers uh, per violent personality offenders have reduced prefrontal cortex gray matter volume and glucose metabolism. 
Uh, also, there's impaired orbital frontal cortex activation during aversive conditioning, so they're just not getting activated enough. Uh, there's also amygdala dysfunction, uh, reduced volume and activation um, is related to effective deficits and impaired moral uh, socialization. So there's problems in the amygdala area and the orbital frontal area and the connections between the two, more importantly. Uh, so they think there is uh, one uh, contributing factor to this is the connection between the two that is not communicating properly. And this is via the um, unsenate facilicus that we'll talk about in a bit as well. Some other limbic syndromes, uh, schizophrenia has been linked to this limbic uh, system. Negative symptoms is linked to hypofunctioning of the limbic system. Positive symptoms, hallucinations, delusions, uh, hyperfunctioning of the limbic system. They've also found that the anterior cingulate and medial temporal regions are activated during auditory hallucinations. Um, depression, uh, the subgenual uh, cingulate is overactive in depression. Uh, patients, but um, it is reduced with antidepressants. Obsessive compulsive disorder uh, is linked to a network involving the medial orbital frontal and anterior dorsal cingulate and striatum. So what they think is there's too much connectivity between them. They're too connected. Um, so one of the treatments is actually severing that connection and making them uh, less connected between the anterior dorsal cingulate and the medial frontal regions. Also, autism has been linked to it. Um, some social and communication abnormalities may be related to limbic dysfunction. They found reduced neuronal size and then increased cell packing in the hippocampus, amygdala, interrenal cortex, and mammillary bodies for some autistic patients. It's also decreased, uh, decreased gray, gray and white matter volumes in the fear of frontal infusiform virus regions. Okay, some other projection pathways. So again, projection is linking the subcortical to the cortical. Um, one of the largest ones is the cortical spinal tract. So we talked about some of these when we had our rounds about voluntary movement. So this is the whole tract, and it uh, is the main tract relating the um, motor cortex all the way down to the spinal cord. It obviously is important for voluntary motor function of the arms, trunk, and legs. There's another slightly smaller one called the uh, corticobulbar tract. It also originates in the motor strip and projects to the uh, cranial nerves. We went through the cranial nerves in a previous round as well and kind of talked about what each of them do. But it is uh, generally uh, related to um, facial expression, chewing, speaking. Um, there is a syndrome called pseudobulbar syndrome where there's a disconnection between the corticobulbar tract and limbic connections. And uh, these patients will have um, inappropriate crying or laughing. Um, they'll either cry or laugh inappropriately or without motivation. Okay. Um, some other projection tracks. Um, there are a lot of uh, the thalamus, so we talked about, talked about before, is a major relay station. So everything besides smell kind of goes to the thalamus and then is directed out to different parts of the brain. So this is a breakdown of the thalamus here. There's a lot of different subregions and where they project to out in the brain. If you want to look at that in more detail later, you can. But we're just going to go through a few of these. So the anterior thalamic nuclei, anterior is in the front, um, receives information from the hippocampus via the fornix um, and the hypothalamic mammillary bodies via the mammalothalamic tract. And it projects to the anterior cingulate and frontal gyrus. Uh, these are kind of the motor areas. Um, this is part of the limbic system, which is involved in memory, emotion, and motivation. When you damage this part of the thalamus, you'll have um, amnesia in some stroke patients. 
It's also been linked to Alzheimer's disease and reduced spontaneity of speech. Okay. Another subsection is the intralaminar nuclei. Um, it receives information from the brainstem, deep cerebellar nuclei, and the basal ganglia. And it projects to a lot of different regions, parietal, frontal, and limbic regions. It's involved in sleep regulation, attention, arousal, pain perception, um, and kind of multimodal sensory processing. This is a, frequently a target for deep brain stimulations. We talked about that um, in regards to Parkinson's before. But it can also be used in treatment for chronic pain, epilepsy, and motor neglect. Medial dorsal, medial dorsal nuclei, so medial towards the center, dorsal towards the top. Uh, we're seeing information from the brainstem, substantia nigra, and the amygdala. It projects to the orbital frontal cortex, dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, ventral medial, and anterior cingulate gyrus, gyri, and the medial temporal lobe and the temporal poles. It's involved in sleep regulation, drive motivation, executive functioning, working memory, and attention. Um, they found reduced volume in schizophrenic patients um, for these parts of the thalamus. Okay, uh, ventral anterior, so this is right here, VA. It receives input from the pallidum and substantia nigra, and it's reciprocally, reciprocally connected, so connected back and forth uh, with the cingulate and the premotor prefrontal cortices. Uh, damage and dysfunction is related to dystonia, stuttering, um, and reduced spontaneous speech. Another region here, so uh, the ventral lateral nucleus, here, VPL, down here, and yeah, all this right here, um, receives fibers from the globus pallidus and deep cerebellar nuclei. It projects to the supplementary motor area, uh, the lateral prefrontal cortex, and the primary motor cortex. So damage uh, in these regions are related to ataxia, uh, motor weakness, language and memory difficulties, and restless leg syndrome. Um, another uh, portion is the lateral thalamic uh, nuclear group. So this is LD, where does it go? Right here, LP, right here, OLZ, and the pulvinar, which is this back part of the thalamus. It uh, receives fibers from the superior colliculus and is connected to the parietal, occipital, and temporal lobes. It's important for a relay for cortical to cortical um, connections. Um, so it's really important for integrating information from the visual, sensory, and motor uh, realms. When you damage the pulvinar, uh, which is connected to the amygdala and orbital frontal cortex, and it impairs your ability to recognize fearful faces, and there's delays in processing visual threats. There's also spatial and temporal visual attention deficits. Um, so the pulvinar kind of goes also back to the occipital lobe to connect there. They've found reduced size in uh, patients with ADHD, but this is actually modulated with stimulant medication. So that'd be one of the mechanisms of, of action there. Okay, another kind of set of projection pathways is the cortical basal ganglia circuit. So also in the rounds when I talked about voluntary movement, I went into depth on some of these basal ganglia networks. Uh, basal ganglia uh, facilitates an initiation and execution of movement, selection of purposeful patterns of movement, in response to internal and external environment, and then reward and motivation. Um, I went into detail about the direct pathway um, and the different neurotransmitters that are involved in that rounds. Um, the direct pathway is uh, usually used to increase motor activity. The indirect pathway that then involves the subthalamic nucleus 
um, decreases unwanted movement. So this is to initiate movement that you want, the direct pathway, and the indirect pathway is to reduce tremors and overshooting, uh, things like this. These are some of the pathways that are affected um, in Parkinson's disease. Um, there's another uh, circuit that includes the substantia nigra that's also involved in Parkinson's, and this is usually where the deep brain stimulation is targeted um, for that disorder. Uh, so if you want more detail about that, you can definitely go back to that rounds and hear about all the different neurotransmitters that are involved. Um, the, just so you know, the green ones are uh, excitatory and the red are inhibitory. Some other cortical basal ganglia circuits, there are a number of them. There's the motor circuit that um, obviously includes the motor, premotor, uh, cortices, the putamen, uh, pallidum, subthalamic nucleus, and the ventrolateral uh, thalamic nuclei. nuclei. Uh, these disorders are associated with Parkinson's and Huntington's chorea. You have the associative circuit um, that includes the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the caudate nucleus, pallidum, and the ventral anterior thalamic nuclei. So lesions in this network impairs attention, working memory, strategy formation, and cognitive flexibility. Um, there is some lateralization for this network. So the right lesions tend to affect spatial neglect and visuospatial disorientation. So again, the right side, it helps to navigate, um, can have some spatial attention. Um, the left side is obviously involved in uh, language. So lesions on the left side have been linked to deficits in verbal encoding, reduced verbal fluency, and aphasias. Uh, there's a limbic circuit that includes the medial and orbital frontal cortex, the ventral striatum, specifically the nucleus accumbens, the pallidum, mediodorsal thalamic nucleus, and this circuit is involved in Tourette syndrome and um, OCD and addiction. It's also been implicated in schizophrenia. So the positive symptoms, which again are like hallucinations and delusions, uh, are linked to increased activity in the thalamolimbic projections. You have negative symptoms, so the disinhibition, irritability, mood instability, reduced motivation, are uh, linked to lesions of the ventral striatum. So a lot of important circuits that are involved the uh, basal ganglia. Okay, we also talked a lot about the cerebellum in our rounds about uh, voluntary uh, movement control. So I discussed the different parts of the uh, cerebellum. So you have the vermis in the middle and the, uh, the inter inter intermediate and lateral sides. Um, so uh, just to remind you what the cerebellum does, it's important for motor coordination and learning. It coordinates information about the surrounding environment and your intended movements. It integrates information uh, to correct movements. So you have the intention to move, then it offsets your body according to, to help you maintain balance when you're trying to do another movement. Um, and it kind of helps you readjust as your body moves and whatever object you're interacting with is moving as well. So there are a number of different um, cerebellar tracts. So the cerebellar cerebral tract, uh, this is important for the planning of movement. So it kind of goes through the lateral hemisphere, the outside of the cerebellum, and then it goes up through uh, the midbrain to the um, motor cortex. So its uh, purpose is to calculate specific motor plans to help you have precise uh, control of rapid limb movements, uh, tasks that require fine dexterity. It's also been linked to internal clock. So if I tell you 
you know, tell me when it's been 30 seconds. This part of the brain has been incorporated. So it helps you to judge elapsed time and helps you have hand-eye coordination. So when a ball's coming to you, you know when to uh, swing with your bat. Uh, it receives input from sensory and motor cortices and uh, from premotor and posterior parietal cortices. Um, the whole uh, network here is the lateral zone of the cerebellum, the outside, dentate nucleus, superior cerebellar peduncle, thalamus, then up to the motor and premotor cortices. If you have a lesion to any, any part of this network, you'll have delays in motor initiation and termination. You'll have tremor at the end of the movement, um, disorder in temporal coordination, so you can't uh, you know, organize your movements accordingly, and then you'll have disordered spatial coordination of hands and fingers. So if you're reaching for something, you'll miss. Spinocerebellar tract, there's um, two different versions. So you have the vermis, which is the very center, which controls the head, neck, and trunk. Um, there is a, another a figure I had for you that had the different homunculi. There are three homunculi in the cerebellum. The head, neck, and trunk is in the vermis, and then the limbs are in the intermediate uh, part of the cerebellum. The spinocerebellar tract controls ongoing execution of movement. It, it does feedback adjustments, um, kind of regulates your kind of movement, so it uh, has it knows what you intend to do and then what actually happens and helps you to adjust your movements so that those two things coordinate. And it responds to proprioception, touch, and pressure, so how you feel where your body's at and is that how your body's supposed to feel when you're doing a certain kind of movement. Okay, there are also a number of commissural disconnections and syndromes. So these are the uh, pathways that connect the left and right hemispheres of your brain, the largest of which is obviously the corpus callosum. So but of the corpus callosum, there's seven different segments. Here at the very tip, you have the rostrum. In front of that, you have the genu, the rostral body, anterior midbody, posterior midbody, isthmus, and the splenium in the back. So I'm gonna go through uh, some syndromes that are associated with lesions to different parts of the corpus callosum. So you have the alien hand syndrome, which is kind of a famous one. Um, so basically you have involuntary inter intermanual conflict. So one hand, usually the left, interferes with what the right hand is doing. Um, anarchic hand syndrome is that you'll have complex involuntary goal-oriented movements with one hand, but you didn't tell it to do that. So you're doing something else and the left hand is doing something very complex and ornate, but it has a will of its own. You have left hand tactile anomia and agnosia, which is the inability to name an object. So if you put an object in the left hand, they can't name it. Okay, some other um, syndromes, left hand apraxia, uh, so the impaired ability for, to execute left-handed goal-oriented movements. So if I tell you to imitate what I'm doing with my hand, you can't do it with your left hand. If I say, you know, act like you're using a hammer, the left hand can't do it. A left-hand agraphia, it's a failure to write correctly with the left hand that goes beyond obviously being less coordinated with the left hand as most right-handers are. Hemispatial neglect is so you have a failure to respond to or orient to anything novel happening on the left side. So again, these are a syndromes of disconnection between the left and right hemispheres. There's also a syndrome where you're uh, unable to recognize the left hand as your own. If it's out of sight and the right hand's holding the left hand, you will say that the left hand is not your hand. 
Diachronic listening suppression. So this is where if you, uh, they play either verbal sounds, someone talking or music to both ears and the left ear will not, well, the left ear will ignore anything verbal because uh, the left side processes language. And then the right side will do the opposite. Bilateral cross optic ataxia. See difficulty reaching for something that's presented in the other hemisphere. So if something's presented on the left, the right hand can't orient towards it. Binocular stereopsis and Burgess deficits. So you can't do depth perception that require coordinating the two eyes. Converging and diverging of the eyes then comes closer to you or further away against coordinating the two eye movements. Optic aphasia, so you can't name an object that is presented visually, uh, but I can't say what do you use to hit nails with, and you can't say a hammer, but you just can't recognize it visually. You'll have color anomia, so you can't name colors. Uh, alexia without agraphia, so it's an inability to read, but you can write. So this is a disconnection between the visual areas and the visual word form uh, system. Left visual hemianomia and hemialexia. So inability to name objects or read words within to the left visual field. The right hemisphere maintains normal capacity for visual recognition, but it just can't get access to the language areas on the left side. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to subscribe to the Neuroscience Rounds podcast for future episodes. You might also enjoy our sister podcast, Let's Head On, with myself and Dr. Ann Stevens, where we discuss the interaction between neuroscience, neuropsychology, and physical and mental well-being. Please feel free to reach out to us at integratebrainhealth.com.